I would actually like to start with Papua New Guinea. Can you give us, I wonder, has anybody here been to Papua New Guinea? Yes, that's amazing. Can you give us just a little bit of information, Simon, about Papua New Guinea? Is it this paradise island? And what also PNG Air does? Certainly. So PNG Air is the second carrier in Papua New Guinea. We're predominantly a domestic airline, but we also have resource clients that we fly and connect their uh, destinations through to Australia. Uh, so Papua New Guinea, there's certainly areas that would qualify as paradise. There's also the challenges of a developing country alongside that. So it's it's a real mixture. But uh, our, our services are mainly domestic and uh, we're able to differentiate ourselves with our service and some of the unique destinations that we fly against compared to our competitor. Thank you. And what I learned from you yesterday as well is that they speak more than 800 different languages. Yeah, there's more than 800 languages spoken across the country, which I think is the most in the world. And that you know, just represents the diversity. So in terms of uh, comparison to Australia, you know, Population, about 85% of the population is on the coast, 15% interior. It's the complete reverse in Papua New Guinea. So 15% of the population will live in cities. 85% is spread across the country in villages and tribes. And you worked most of your life really with a focus on revenue management. Is there a common thread, something you noticed throughout as um, main challenges, main patterns, uh, similarities between the different markets you worked in and the different systems you used? Yeah, I think the, the common threads for me in terms of a, from a revenue management perspective is you know, whichever market you're in or airline is forecasting is paramount and, you know, and having a view on forecasting and what the view is and then the diversity of the different markets, it's where to listen to where the differences are and where to challenge as to where you know, good airline management practices need, need to work alongside the, the local information. So it's finding that balance. Thank you. And we'll talk a bit more about this um, in a second. Um, Paul, let me come to you. I think everyone when thinking about Air Asia, has in mind this kind of lifestyle brand which Air Asia, Asia is aiming to be and the super app you created. Um, how did you do all of this and how do you revenue manage this? Can you give us a bit more insight? Come on. Yeah, Ursula, first, thanks for having us. Uh, great to be here. I think, look, where did the super app come from? Okay, it was born out of the pandemic and it was um, really a necessity for the business to survive. Um, I think, you know, we went from carrying 90 million passengers a year to effectively zero. Um, so the founder, I think everyone knows Tony, um, really saw the pandemic as an opportunity to um, expedite you know, his vision of building a true super app. Um, so I think during the pandemic, we launched uh, ride hailing, there was food business, you know, loyalty as well, with a lot of focus there. Um, 
and I think we're now starting to see the results now that the, the, the region has opened up, air travel demand is back, and we're really now leveraging the ecosystem in terms of what we do. Um, so I'll give you an example. So a passenger can get on an AirAsia flight now, um, connect to the, to the Wi-Fi, um, and book an AirAsia ride, and the, the, the car is waiting um, for them at the airport. So it's really you know, leveraging the ecosystem benefiting from a population base in, in, in ASEAN of about 800 million people um, and really driving home all those synergies together. That really drives not just the, the ticket revenue, but gives us a huge opportunity to, to grow our ancillary base as well. And do you already see trends that people also book without any flight, without any travel plans? I think you've got, is it correct, 8 million users in the meantime of the super app? Yeah, so I mean, we, we do see a lot of bundle activity at the moment, but we also see, you know, independent, you know, visits on our, on our, on our ride hailing. It's actually very, very successful, despite having quite aggressive competition in Southeast Asia, the Grabs, you know, the, well, yeah, Grab being the biggest competitor, it is growing exponentially. You know, there's a huge, huge demand for ride hailing in Southeast Asia. And do you revenue manage the marketplace separately or do you revenue manage everything together? Um, it, so it is a separate function, but in terms of bundling, when we start bundling ride hailing into the uh, into the ticket price, that's where I, I would come in on the air, airline side, but it is, it is managed as a separate revenue management team sitting within the super app, um, but we generally speak to each other very regularly because we need to, we need to have the bundle capability as well, So, but it's, it's, it's managed as a separate business than the airline revenue management. Would you prefer that it was all in one? It would sometimes be easier, but uh, I think we'll, we'll, one day we will get there. It'll, it'll eventually come together anyway. It's just, it's, Super App is still relatively in its infancy. Uh, there's still a lot of learning going on there. So I think, you know, it will eventually mature and, and come under one. Okay, thank you. you talked about ride hailing. Ride hailing is what you also do, Andrew, with car trawler, what you offer. You have as well, I think, 1,700 car rental companies globally. In the meantime, I found some amazing figures. 500 plus mobility suppliers um, and 500 travel partners in total. Um, some amazing numbers. How did you get there? How do you do this? What is the secret? Yeah, I think, um yeah, to, to, to follow what Paul said there, like we try and fit into the ecosystem with, with each of our partners. So um, some partners will look for a car hire, they'll want it end-to-end, -end, so they want the customer to be able to see it in the booking flow. Um, others will just want it on their home page or confirmation page. Um, and then some of our partners want mobility solutions as well, whether that's private transfer or some ride hailing. Uh, and it's trying to fit that into the ecosystem of, of when the traveler is making what are quite complicated choices on their travel arrangements, whether that's the flight, the hotel, the car hire, the mobility piece. Um, and we try to do that in a very seamless way, um, make it simple for the customer. So if you're on you know, easyjet.com tomorrow, in the booking flow is our content. Uh, we present that very dynamically. So you know, depending on where you're traveling and how many people are on the booking, we present that content back to you to optimize both for conversion of that car, but equally then to optimize for the best price for both the supplier who we represent, a Hertz or an Avis, for example, but equally to maximize revenue for the partner. So we present all that back in all those 
offers back dynamically within milliseconds um, and we're constantly trying to evolve that in, in revenue managing it uh, on behalf of everybody within that ecosystem. So did you develop that technology yourself? How did you grow this? Because it's an enormous amount of data that you are using there. Yeah, um, there's a bit of uh, our original system is proprietary. There's then you know levels of models that we've taken in externally. Some have been developed internally. Um, I would call it a package of kind of AI models that we now use to kind of drive that revenue management piece. Um, and because we're consuming so much data, uh, we're presenting hundreds and hundreds of thousands of cars every day to passengers. Um, we need to be able to consume and filter and use that data in a smart way without it slowing down the process. Um, consumers have become more and more demanding. If you're waiting half a second for cars to present, there's a strong potential you'll lose that sale. So we have to present it quickly, accurately, well merchandised at the right price. So yeah, it's great. It's a conundrum that, that we really enjoy every day and uh, it, it challenges us. And, and that's that's something that's within our ethos, which is, which is uh, really enjoyable. And how does the fulfillment work? How do you bring that together from the customer perspective? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's a couple of ways. So we, we provide content to lots of you know, travel websites, for example. We provide content to airlines. And really, it's, it's, it depends on, on what those partners look for in terms of that fulfillment piece. But ultimately, it can be anything from a prepaid car to a car that you pay at the desk for to a private transfer piece. So the fulfillment is, you know, it's really driven by what the partner looks for. But in some instances, we can combine the payment of the airline ticket and the car into one one payment, and the customer doesn't actually know that they're making two payments in real in real time. So just trying to make it really, really efficient and, and fluid for the customer. Sounds super interesting. Alex, Flyer Labs. Can you tell us a bit more about it? You started off with revenue management, but in the meantime, it is actually much, much more. Yes, so thank you. Thank you for inviting me in this panel. Um, we started Flyer to try and do revenue management better. Uh, and that sounds like it's simple, but it is not. Um, we saw a couple of things across airlines in particular. We saw that airlines struggle to identify and utilize their data. We saw that airlines struggle at forecasting the future, um, and we saw that airline users or analysts are usually heavily reliant on homegrown tools or Excel spreadsheets to interact with information. So we started building a platform that ingests and manages all commercial data that might be relevant to making a decision, then uses advanced deep learning or AI to take that data and contextually understand how that data correlates in order to come up with the right price or the revenue optimal price. Um, and then we also forecast revenue, we forecast demand, and then that kind of compounded in forecasting no-show rates, cancellation rates, channel mixes. And then on the third piece, we really bring all the data together in a single analytics interface. But as we started working with more and more airlines to help them make better decisions, we realized that the ability of the airline to either display or enable the decision in the form of an experience to the customer is very limited, and their ability to fulfill those more complicated decisions and experiences is equally limited in the legacy reservation system of the airline. So over the last two years, we've been heavily investing not just in that data forecasting and analytics platform to help make decisions, but also 
we bought a company to provide the booking engine to power the airlines. Avianca.com, for example, is running on our booking engine now. And we bought a company that helps us um, let airlines transition or reduce their dependency on their legacy PSS and reservation system, right? So I think of the legacy PSS as storing information in a flat tax BNR record, mostly, for an airline ticket. Whereas if you want to sell ancillary products and bundles and do dynamic pricing and do continuous pricing, that's extremely limiting. And you need a way to more richly store the data. So that's really what we provide airlines. So we provide the decision-making, the experience, and then kind of the fulfillment commerce layer to help airlines detach the front of the house, how they sell, and how they engage with the traveler from the back of the house, which is kind of how they operate the business. That's kind of at a high level I would describe it. And uh, we were fortunate to raise almost half a billion dollars in the last three years for major investors to help us kind of achieve that vision um, and kind of unconstrain and unlock airlines to retail and retail better now, not in five or ten years. And we'll come back to the machine learning part um, again later. But just to understand a bit more, how do you manage all of this growth? Do you still sleep? Oh, I, I, I'm on a plane three weeks of, of the month and I, I sleep very little. I, I live outside of the city now just so that I can actually relax the one week that I'm at home. Um, uh, but yeah, no, I, 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 there's a lot going on, but we've been able to build a good team. We hired the CFO of 23andMe, which is the public company, DNA testing. He's now with the company. We hired the former chief revenue officer of Red Hat. We hired the former CMO of Aon and a bunch of others to kind of help us build up the team so that I can actually sleep. And you have also or are intending to move into other verticals. I think you've acquired as well hotel technology partner. So to be clear, our core business is and will be airlines. But to go to the offer point, airlines are going to be changing their business. And I have great respect for what AirAsia is doing, right? Their super app is visionary, not just because it enables more revenue streams than just that seat, but also because they're doing it in a world where they have an airline operating and they have legacy limitations, even as a direct to consumer mostly engaging channel. We started investing and looking at hospitality, rental cars, um, ancillary car transfers, and ancillary products outside of the airline's control because we believe they have to be part of the package. And I think where things are headed is we need to be in a position to help airlines um, establish what that package looks like price that package and fulfill that package. Um, and as Paul was already hinting at, that needs to be eventually under one umbrella. So that's what we're building towards. And that's why we're engaging with some of these industries to make sure we can not just help them, but also integrate this content across modalities and across verticals into a single offer and experience platform and fulfill it in a single order and offer management stack. And is it then possible from the revenue management perspective to revenue manage those different elements of the offer? Yeah, so I, I think the term revenue management in the traditional sense will disappear, right? We have airlines today that are asking us, here's our cost data. Can you please tell your AI agents to optimize for profitability, not for revenue, because optimizing for revenue is very different from optimizing for profitability. Most airlines will make more money on that seat selection or that meal they sell than on the actual right to fly. And AirAsia will notice better than anyone as a major low-cost carrier, right? So the ability to focus on profit optimization more than revenue optimization, I think is becoming more and more important. 
layered at doing it across products, some of which are not your own, as complexity. And this is where AI becomes so important, right? Like you cannot layer all these things on top of each other, um, relying on if this, do that, human rules and human analysts behind every single decision. You have to automate more and you have to let data inform that decision. And there's no better way to do it than kind of deep neural networks or, or AI to do that at tremendous scale and at tremendous speed. And so you would have different, uh, you would ultimately be able to manage each element, revenue manage it separately or have the own No, you, you, in my view, you need to manage the basket of goods, right? The shopping cart, effectively, optimizing for the outcome that is profitability across them. Like you might want to lose money on the flight component because you'll make a lot more on the other ones, mm -hmm. right? So that, that's kind of where the world is changing towards and what we want to try and optimize for. Is that what you would be happy about as the airline to be able to do? Because today, if you look at how revenue analysts work, basically they don't really see profitability. And it's called revenue analysts, but they don't really see the revenue because they only see the booking classes. Is that something you think from you would revenue, want? If I think from a revenue management perspective, it makes, it makes sense. You want to see the total package and optimize the, the total offering to the customer. You know, I think we heard earlier in some some of the forums in terms of airlines are traditionally siloed mm -hmm. and the way sort of e-commerce has evolved you know, over the periods of times is like you, you could potentially end up with many optimizations taking place in different silos and coming out with the wrong answer for the company overall because you don't have that connection and you don't have everybody working together you know, across different disciplines. So I think bringing those different disciplines together, bringing the single offer together and optimizing it in one makes makes perfect sense. Do you revenue manage and salaries at all today at PNG? It was, yeah, from a PNG perspective, yeah, we're, we're not at the forefront, you know, in terms of, I think the, my key role is keeping an eye on where the industry is going, mm -hmm. to keep up to date with, with what is happening so that when the time is right for PNG we can step on board and be successful in joining the ecosystem in terms of that's been being developed. What about you? Look, I, I completely support. I mean, the revenue management organization is evolving, not just the technology. So I think from, from the AirAsia perspective, as Simon mentioned, typically functions were siloed. So what we've done in the last probably 18 months, so we've brought the ancillary revenue management team into the core um, revenue management team because as Alex mentioned it is all for us about the total to basket size so it never it just wasn't making sense organizationally to have two separate teams so what we've done is we've restructured so the team's ultimate objective now is to maximize the basket size not just focused on the airfare or on the bags on the seat it's a total revenue target we have in place and we adapted the organization to reflect that and if I can, I want to add one more item to that, and that is, I think this extends beyond just the revenue or profit function, right? Like, if you have better forecasts for your load factors, right, you can start driving a conversation with your scheduling teams to make sure you got capacity in the right places, right? You can up or down gauge, you can control your costs. You can tell your marketing team to spend money in places where yields are good, but loads are behind, and not waste it in places where loads are high and yields are low. So, like. This integrated function doesn't just relate to the pricing of things, it relates to how you actually commercially plan your business. Yeah, absolutely. You can have value-add discussions instead of um, 
just administering kind of in car rental there is a lot of just to remain for a moment uh, on this ancillary question in car rental there is increasingly sales of ancillaries do you revenue manage those Andrew? yeah so we obviously there, there's there's two types of content we we take we take net and retail rates we can revenue manage the actual net rate up to a to a market rate that's the first thing we do second thing we do is if you think about the challenge with the airlines is they're just presenting a seat and a price and potentially some bundles for us we're presenting hundreds and hundreds of cars so for us the revenue management piece is how we sort those in order based on your preference half of passengers never change the um the setting to pricing they, they just leave it in in the recommended sort so there's a big opportunity in that piece I'm one of the 50% who changes it to price, but that's you know that's understandable. Um, so so that's one piece we do. Then for the ancillary bit, so we sell a lot of further on products such as additional driver, you know GPS, all those sorts of add-ons. And then the other big piece for us is insurance. So we actually revenue manage the insurance price. It's actually linked to our car price pricing uh, algorithms. So we're very much trying to manage that basket, albeit it's a different basket that Paul refers to. I think the other bit to touch on from the previous point is sometimes uh, if you can rely on experts to, to price the ancillary that they're good at, so for example, car trawler and cars, and we add that into the package where the airline doesn't have to worry about that element of their of complexity for themselves, and they can focus on their core business. That's one of the big value adds that we bring to to the party in that instance. And to come back to the machine learning part, um, with this new modern retailing, data gets even more important and data volumes will increase more. How much of this can really be used? How much can be automated? Any views? Well, so I think there's two types of optimization. There is the macro batch optimization. You ingest all your data and you try and get better at selling a product at kind of a wider audience and you only segment by point of sale or a point of commencement or by channel. And then there is the more real-time personalization, right? I know who you are, who you're loyal, what your loyalty status is, what you've bought before. Right? I know what you're doing in your session. And to, the former is something where um, AI machine learning can deal with huge amounts of data, compute it, store it in the database, and you can do a lookup. And that's pretty common, I would say, in terms of like how, how to think about revenue management. But the world is going, however, is one that's real-time interaction. I think Cartrola does some of this. Like We've invested super heavily in being able to respond or run an AI model in less than 30 milliseconds during the session of the user, considering what is going on in that session of that user in order to optimize what they, what we offer them, how we price things, how we package things. And that's where I think things are headed. Um, so I think machine learning, both has the ability to deal with all this new data, storage data, third-party data, right, um, GDP, market data, whatever it may be, but it also has the ability to make these very complicated but precise decisions in real time. So both streams are enabled by AI. Huge amounts of data on a batch basis and kind of very personalized, specific data very quickly in real time at runtime. So those, those are those who are enabled by AI. You can't really do that by traditional rules systems because the rules would just clog up the system. Any further thoughts on this? I think traditionally you would probably say 
would have been automated, um, you would go further than 80%? I, mean, I won't name names, but typically in a traditional revenue management world, 90 to 95% of all the prices the user ends up buying in air are the result of a rule of sorts set by an analyst in a subjective mm -hmm. way. If you look at typically what we do, less than 5% of the actual prices that are purchased were ever touched by an analyst or a rule. So 95% running on autopilot. If you look at our business today, um, we're managing billions and billions of dollars of order people's revenues on autopilot that were never touched by an analyst. That doesn't mean the analyst isn't important. Right? The job of the analyst becomes more about escalate to them the places where your algorithm is failing or where it is unsure, and then give them the tools to make sure that they can figure out what to do about it. I think Paul might have some thoughts about that. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we invested in, in new technology during the pandemic, and as Alex says, our team now spends 10% of their time managing flights within 30 days to departure because we've set up those rules you know, to trust the model that, you know, we have a schedule on sale 15 months out um, and the analysts are not actually looking at those flights, you know, until they get closer into the booking curve because, you know, we realize the human can just not get around to managing every single flight every day. So these models are set up as such that, you know, typically the revenue management analyst previously is the, is the person that constrains demand. So, you know, we, we invested in our internal data science capability, you know, and all of the recommendations now, I would say up to about 95% that the output is accepted by the revenue management analysts. So these demand constraints you were seeing previously um, are pretty much the shackles are off, you know, so it gives us the confidence the revenue management team is in on flights that are in that peak peak booking curve where they can really optimize for events for day of week you know so their core time is spent there so i think um it will continue to evolve booking curves are changing out of out of out of the pandemic so i think you know there's a lot of work you know we want to invest in data science around you know a lot more granularity around day of week pricing so but i do think you know we, we have moved into a world of where data science, you know, further out, those algorithms are there to be trusted. Um, and the revenue management analyst is really focused closer in on the booking curve. That's what we observe coming out of COVID. I, I think the one big human intervention that's always needed is just to keep these models up to date. So, um, you know, Alex talked about, you know, where models fail or they don't optimize for us. We try and review it regularly because the market is changing so much so dynamically after COVID. You can't compare to last year anymore. You can't compare to 2019. Um, and then we know also that different different flying patterns and, you know, different booking patterns are out there. So we're constantly, that's the big human intervention for us as people challenging those models, reviewing them, putting new models in place. So that's, um, that's a huge part of the input. And, and on that point, I would say that for every dollar we spend on the actual models and research, we spend about $8 on the infrastructure. So we, um, we train our models, but then every single day or multiple times a day, as new data arrives, these models are running new inference jobs. So they're reconsidering the current data. And what's really interesting about deep learning forms of AI, ML, opposed to more traditional linear regression type models, is that deep learning can, looks at context. Like, 
how, what was the impact of my competing airline putting a flight against my flight within half an hour? What did that do to demand? So that the next time you see a similar occurrence, even in a different market, you have a sense of what it will do. So deep learning kind of builds these connections and correlation and understanding and applies it later. And this allows it to actually move really quickly, even if patterns in the market change. There's airlines out there that are still using year over year four, year over year five references to see if they're doing a good job. That makes zero sense, right? So you need models that are able to adapt on their own and then you need humans and processes around that to verify whether a retraining or a tweaking of a model is actually gonna drive better performance. So I certainly agree in terms of you know, the, the f focus of analysts should be where they can add value. So that 80-20 rule seems like 90-10 rule. But uh, also I think in terms of as the systems become more sophisticated, the actual you know, skill set of a revenue management analyst has changed over the last you know, 10 years. So the, the, the kind of education and background and knowledge to be able to interact with these systems is very different to what it was you know, 10, 15 years ago. So there's an evolution there in terms of, we talk about analysts, but we also have to, to train them to work with the new systems. And what about continuous versus dynamic pricing? Do you see that this is something important you consider? Would you offer personalized prices in your marketplace? Okay. <laughs> I'll take it. So, so I think for the audience to break things down, there's a few pieces here to break down. The first thing is the vast majority of airlines in the world cannot sell at just any price point. Right. There is such a thing as fair filings, and there's a system in ATPCO where the airline has to file a ladder of prices. And if that filed price has $200, but I want to start $190, the customer is still going to see $200. What continuous pricing does versus kind of more traditional pricing is instead of just allocating seats to these predetermined price points, it's traditional revenue management, the continuous price point just says, I should be pricing at $191. So that's kind of continuous pricing. That doesn't mean the airline can fulfill it, right? There is still this problem with fair filings. This is where we provide a bunch of ways to actually get past that, but that's a different conversation down the rabbit hole. Then there is dynamic pricing, which in my, there's a few ways to read this, but the way I think of this is the ability to consider something at the point in time or just prior to actually making a decision, right? So continuous pricing is I can, I can price at any point I would like to price, Dynamic pricing is I have the ability to consider things in that consideration, like your loyalty status, or like the channel, right, or the agent PCC code, for example. So what we do is we do continuous dynamic pricing. So we can drive a continuous price point that is not limited by those fair filings while considering data that is either very recent or real time. Do you have a view what adds more value or is more something that airlines or travel companies should strive for? You have to go continuous dynamic, right? Like, let's put it this way. If you if you believe that your models on the overall are doing a better job, right, at the, or a good job at determining price, and you're just objectively looking at those models, spitting out price points, saying you should price at $191, but your forces is still at 200, there is inherently an inefficiency, right? You're going to lose potential passengers because you're pricing, you're forced to price higher than you want to price, or the inverse could be true as well, right? So inherently there isn't an efficiency with that legacy construct, um, and you have to move to continuous pricing because you close that gap, 
and you have to move to continuous dynamic pricing in order to personalize and address the need of the customer. So it's going to have to go there. And one of the things that we heavily invest in and one of the things that makes certain players in the ecosystem look very happy with us is the fact that we're investing heavily in breaking those limitations of that legacy construct that is fair filings and text-based PNRs and traditional forms of distribution because you have to do those things. You have to break that stronghold. But you will ultimately achieve higher conversion, higher revenues um, uh, as a result. And that's... And control of your destiny. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you cater really for the customer, which somehow on the revenue management side by just past practices, just looking at historic developments, the customer somehow doesn't really appear in this. And suddenly in this new world, the customer is actually really um, at the center of this. Is that what ultimately, how, how do you manage to get your teams to, or do you think they should move into this direction and you would want to change to this new world? even the world without booking classes and all of the other possibilities? I think from a revenue ma managing a revenue management team and a set of analysts, you know, it's always been a challenge to remember, you know, often they're in a head office environment disconnected from the customer. So it's always remembering what the decisions that they're making about their inventory setup, the forecasts, or the pricing, what's the impact on the customer down the road? Whether that's a you know, traditional set of fair rules in terms of what are we actually doing to our frontline employees in delivering the product, are we enabling them to successfully meet the customer needs, be able to uh, you know, deal with the flexibility or the changes in their travel patterns. So I think it's just an evolution in terms of, we talked about breaking out of the silos and having a more comprehensive uh, cross-functional teams. We just need to elevate the, you know, the mindset of the customer and the analyst as they make decisions. I think there's there's one unique bit for us in the customer piece that just to add to that is that um, we're presenting a, a set of options from various suppliers, for example. But one big factor is what's the CSAT score? So what does what does the consumer historically say about this product and service? So part of when we sort cars to present to customers is what is the CSAT score, has it got a good rating, because that really drives conversion. So we have another tool in our toolkit that basically says actually if it's a higher score, it has a better chance of the customer buying that car. Um, so we have to curate a bit of a, um, a, a customer service story and a, a very important kind of measurement tool so that customers trust that. Um, but it's a really unique piece for Carhartt because you're presenting different content. Um, and then we can dynamically sort that based on what we think cost consumer preferences are. So for certain airline types, low cost, they'll generally look at a, uh, a customer rating score that's slightly lower, whereas full service carriers, we, we will generally present higher scoring cars to them. So it's a bit of a nuance, but it's, it's really focused on the customer and getting that conversion. What I've seen a lot um, in the airlines is that with digital becoming stronger and obviously influencing quite significantly with dynamic propositions, your, um, your revenue um, generation and optimization, um, they, there were sometimes these um, 
silo thinking between the two departments, revenue management and digital, instead of really having the discussion. Now, with moving even further into modern retailing, you come to the point to say, but where does now distribution fit in, revenue management, um, really moving into the order space? Um, and then there is the digital team. How do you see that moving? I think Lufthansa made quite an interesting move, pulling together, basically realizing actually the whole distribution. It is revenue management and distribution. It is going to be one. Do you see it this way? How, what are your views about this and what are your experiences even today? I mean, from, from our perspective, we're direct. You know, we, we, we're there already. We, we distribute direct. You know, we don't work with GDSs, travel agents typically. So, mm -hmm. you know, for in, in, the, in the world we're in, you know, we are direct and we don't plan to, you know, Use GDS and Ryanair have, have moved across from that, um, and I'm sure there are some benefits. But we are quite clear: um, the lowest cost, you know, powerful marketing. We can drive everything through a direct channel. And what happens there then with the pricing, for example, pricing and revenue management? Who determines that in the organisation? I mean, that's determined by the market, really. The market drives the price. You know, I mean, we have a, you know of these competitors in certain markets we're in i mean the team is benchmarking their competition not just on promo fare levels fair structures so i mean it's the revenue management team that is driving the, the pricing decisions mm -hmm. and ultimately it's the demand that drives the market mm -hmm. and do you think that this gap between pricing and revenue management which traditionally is actually being done in different teams will that disappear yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I do agree with Alex. I do think we will get to a world where continuous pricing, you know, because, you know, we have the fair class conundrum at the moment. You know, you have the $10, the $20 gap between the fair classes. And, you know, there's no way in reality knowing what is optimal. So I do think that we will get to a world eventually where we will not have fair classes. And that is continuous pricing. That's what where I see it's going on. Absolutely. Hopefully. <laughs> what, do, what do you think, um, Simon? Yes, I mentioned earlier, it's like breaking down all of these silos, you know, mm -hmm. in terms of it will depend on the size of the airline as to how the teams interact, but you know, they need to act as one and be able to share information and you know, be able to determine how the product is priced you know, the, all the way through to, the, to distribution. You know, there needs to be harmony across all of these functions because uh, as we heard again yesterday, it's like you, you can excel in different elements, but if you have a weakness in your pipeline to get the offer to the customer, you're going to fail. So it all must connect seamlessly. And to add to that, like there's a lot of airlines that have code sharing and interline dependencies on others, right? Like AirAsia is in the very, very nice position to focus on direct, build this business around direct and control that channel, right? Um, I, I will say, however, that like the way you, like I said earlier, you disconnect the front of the house from the back of the house is by moving to offer and order. Now, that, that seems like a very vague term, but really in my view what that means is you have the ability to store a very rich version of all the customer, the offer, and the order information in one place. Think of it as like a very powerful relational database, right? And then on the other side you've got the traditional flat text PNR in the book in the reservation system, right? What we are very focused on is enabling that that, that reservation system to still get the information it needs but have this extremely rich offer order and customer records sitting outside of it so that you can build your experiences and distribution decisions independently 
right? On top of that stack, instead of being limited by the traditional PNR in that reservation system, you still need that for like your 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 departure control systems and operations and load planning and all these things, and that's not going to go away. And we don't play in that space. But the argument that your operation depends on that record in that legacy reservation system um, is completely independent from the need to rely on that system to create better experiences for the customer and fulfill them and distribute them. And I think that's something that airlines are starting to realize. And we want to be there for airlines of any kind, including those that have legacy limitations, to help them do that faster um, uh, and unlock that capability. I think it's really important to realize that those two worlds are not inherently um, locked at the hip. They could be independent and they could be independent now, not in five years. At BranchSpace, we are a passionate team with deep cross-functional experience in airline and travel tech, travel retail, and end-to-end -end customer experience. We offer Transform Consulting Services and Triplake, our best-in-class digital commerce platform. With Triplake, we deploy the latest technology and retail thinking and make it easy for you to drive personalized end-to-end -end experiences for your customers and meet your revenue goals. We are an IATA strategic partner for digital innovation to drive together the future of travel. We have been a long-term trusted partner for LH Group, IAG, AGN, TAP, Air Malta and more. Visit branchspace.com to learn how we turn the current challenges airlines are facing in the digital world into opportunities.